Welcome to Soul Lake Church. This week, Pastor John Noyes preaches the parable of the rich fool out of the Gospel of Luke. Enjoy. Can I have a seat? Oh, you guys already did. Smart people. This morning, we're going to be in Luke 12. Picking up in verse 13. As we discover a parable titled uh, The Rich Fool. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take heed, beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a rich, a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought to him within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no more room to store my crops? So he said, I'll do this. I'll pull down my barns and build greater, and there I'll store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, You have many goods laid up for many years. Take ease, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. Let's pray. Holy Father in heaven, we are grateful for your word because through it, You reveal Yourself uh, to us. This morning, God, like every morning and every day, we need Your grace. So we pray that You rain it upon us. And as I preach the Word, would You hold me up, hold me faithful. Make us all strong to do Your will. Allowing our eyes to constantly be focused on that old rugged cross in heaven just beyond it. And we be about Your work here and now. In Christ's name, amen. How are you guys doing today? I'm already sweating. Oh boy. Uh, you know, uh, every, every time I, I prepare a message, whether it be for a, a Sunday morning service or whether I'm talking somewhere on uh, apologetics through Stand to Reason or whether I'm just discipling a group of guys, I go through a a process of struggle, and that's the best word I can think of to describe it. It's a it's a process uh, where I, where I meet the text that I'm going to be teaching on. I, I I delve into the text, and in the text, I meet with God and I wrestle with Him. And in the end, uh, without fail, I end up uh, convicted, and 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 I end up changed. And people often say to me, uh, they they comment on my passion when I preach, especially, and. Uh, and this is why, this is where the passion comes from, because every time I do a study and, and, I, and I look at this book, this, this book is, 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 is a book filled with uh, stories, scandalous stories told by King Jesus. And, and we learn through them that the kingdom of God, it operates on a, on a currency that's foreign to every worldly kingdom. And and have you guys ever noticed that? That like when you, when you read this, it doesn't make sense necessarily. You know, I feel like the world is upside down. 
And I think that's what Jesus does, and it's through these words that I'm, I'm changed radically, and I've been changed radically, and that change hasn't stopped. And as I, as I read these things, you know, Jesus, he systematically flips everything on its head. Just look at the Sermon on the Mount where one author says this, Jesus unfolds the great blueprint, blueprint of the kingdom. He instructs us to hold stuff loosely, to live lives like this, where the world is telling us to live lives like this. Jesus is constantly telling us to live like, whether, whether it be, uh, the, 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 when somebody asks you for your shirt, yeah, you give them your shirt, but you give them your coat too. Who says that stuff? Jesus tells us to never deny anybody who asks. In worldly terms, I think it's safe to say that, that Jesus is actually, by worldly terms, hear me, worldly terms, Jesus is actually probably the worst financial advisor ever. Ever. But that's in worldly terms, meaning that this right here is all that there is, the physical realm. But there's more than the here and now. Actually, these things are just a, a precursor to something infinitely more. What if the rewards, what if the true retirement account isn't monetary in nature? You know, Lewis says this, and these words have always stuck with me. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like the ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by a holiday by the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And I agree with those words. They, they touch me. And this is what I mean when I say, when I say I wrestle, brothers and sisters, I'm confessing this to you. I wrestle with these things in my weakness. I wrestle with the question, am I a man so caught up in the pursuit of the Joneses, the bigger, the better, the new shiny thing that I neglect to invest in the things that really matter? Am I a coveter of things? Am I a rich fool? My soul, when I read these things and I prepare these messages, my soul aches. Saints of God, there are times when I come downstairs from getting ready in the morning and I look at my beautiful wife and my family and I say, we need to sell this all. We need to get rid of it all. Let's just give it up. And, and just until recently, my wife thought I was insane. And then we watched Francis Chan and she fell in line. No, like, well, let's just give it all because I look at the world around me and it's fallen and it's broken and there's people who don't know King Jesus that I think I can affect with my story and with this Bible. And I just want to give them everything. I want to say, here's my stuff. Take my stuff. I don't need it. I don't need my stuff. Take it. Just let me share the love of Jesus that he has shared with me. Let me love you just the way that you are. Dirty, broken, battered, weary, lost. Let me do this with you. And I, th th this comes from reading these kinds of stories, guys. This, people think the Christian life is boring. If you actually live Christianly, you have the most exciting life on the planet. Just take my stuff is what I cry to people. I want to do that so badly. And then my wife talks some sense into me. But I think that this is what this parable that we're, that we're looking at today uh, does to people when you read it and you take it seriously. It's what it did to me as I was introduced to this man in verse 13. Then one from the crowd said to him, said to Jesus, teacher, tell me. 
I tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Then we have Jesus' response to the man, and it's totally surprising. It's shocking in the context of the culture of the day. Jesus says, man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? Take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Your identity, your, your life's meaning doesn't exist in your stuff. I love, I absolutely love Jesus' ability to see the heart of the person asking all these questions. He doesn't just ask, he doesn't just answer a question, he answers the questioner. And he sees their heart, and then we see it throughout Scripture. It would have been totally normal for Jesus to rule in this instance. It was, it was, it was considered part of a rabbi's job to, to do these things when there was a quarrel. You see, in the, in the culture of the day, the, the, the older child, right, the, he would inherit everything. And we can assume by the context of this story that this man who's speaking up out of the crowd, he's a younger brother. So his, his, his folks are either dead or they're about to die. And he's like, I'm not going to have anything. Rabbi, please. Just be equitable and fair. And Jesus looks at him and he could have said, you know what? Absolutely, 50% down the middle. But Jesus instead, he sees his heart and he sees the reason why he's asking the question. Because he's covetous. But Jesus sees more. He sees a man so caught up in worldly possessions, chasing the Joneses, he neglects to invest in the things that really matter. You see, church, All of this man's energy, all of this man's focus was tied up in material gain. The reader can only presume that this struggle has strained the relationship with his brother. And and how many times have we seen this played out in real life? How many times have we witnessed this? Even now, we want to sometimes dismiss these parables maybe. Oh, well, it's a simplistic time. It's antiquated. There's not much in this for me. But I can see this happen all the time where where, uh, where siblings are set to inherit a, a vast sum of money and it comes between them. It divides them. They say, wait, no, that's not fair. That's mine. I deserve this as if they deserve anything. I'm reminded of this legal battle. Like I, I'm, a, I'm a paralegal by day when I take off the pastor suit. And, and I remember uh, working with this woman, and she was completely broken. And she had been the caretaker and the, and, uh, the not wife, but they, the, the, her and her live-in uh, partner had been uh, together for 25 years. And she took care of him uh, through multiple cancers, through incontinence, through dementia. She took care of him, and he was wealthy beyond measure. And upon his death, his sons were trying to cut this poor woman out of her will, uh, his will. And I had before me in my office this woman who was completely broken, and there were some videos that she had taken with her husband that were completely inappropriate. And she comes into my office one day, and as a paralegal, I'm supposed to review this stuff. Well, that stuff I don't review. And she, But she comes before me and she says, I am so sorry that you have to watch this type of stuff. You have to read these types of things. And I say, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't have to look at that. She says, what? Why? And I got to say to her, this is what I said to her. I said, because it's offensive to my wife and it's offensive to my God. Do you know him? And she says, well, who's your God? I say, well, his name is Jesus. I want to let you know that no matter what happens with this case, this is a true story, no matter happens, what happens with this case, whether you get the mansion or the plane or neither, you find your meaning outside of these things. 
You're of worth simply because you were created in the image of God. You don't need to do anything more than that. And Jesus has died for you to pay for these sins, these things that you're embarrassed for. Stand before him, be healed and whole. And she broke down in my office, crying. She didn't come to Christ right then, but I wish she had. That would make the story a little bit better. But you get what I'm saying? People struggle and they fight over these material things. But Jesus says, take heed and be aware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. And this is, this is the entire key to what we're going to be talking about this morning. Let's remember that God includes uh, the, the, the law against covetousness in, in the Ten Commandments even. You know, if I was to write the Ten Commandments, I'd deal with stuff like pornography. I'd deal with the, the, the sins that you can see. Murder. But God, he, he provides such an insight into human nature that he puts a, one of the ten, one of the ten is covetousness. Do not look at what another man has and yearn for it and want what's not yours. Because he knows, he knows how humans are. He knows that, that as time rolls by, he knows so many families, so many nations are going to be destroyed as a result of an individual's unlawful desire for what isn't theirs. And as we dig in here, let's remember that Adam and Eve, they, they were led into the fall when they coveted the knowledge of good and evil. They wanted for themselves something that wholly belonged to God. And, and in the process, they grasped for it, they clawed for it, they coveted. Allowing something that wasn't theirs to ultimately define them. And in a similar way, we're not defined by the stuff we own. Church, we have to be careful lest we become merely consumers in a culture driven by consumerism. Defined by the houses we live in, by the cars we drive, by our jobs, by, by our 401ks, by our savings and checkings account. Chasing stuff. Tyler Durden from Fight Club, don't judge me. I saw it before I was a Christian. But he says this, he got it. The things we own end up owning us. To illustrate this principle, Jesus offers us this parable, and he, then he spoke a parable to them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielding plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? Since I have no room to store my crops, so he said, I'll do this. I'll pull down my vans and I'll build greater ones. And, and there I'll store all my crops and all my goods. And, and I'll say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, be merry. But then God said to him, could you imagine hearing these words from God? Fool! This night, this night your soul is required from you. Then whose will those things that you've stored up be? So is he who lays up treasures for himself, what Jesus finishes with, and is not rich toward God. See, we have a, a rich man who's, who's experienced a banner year. He has, uh, he's yielded a, a bumper crop so, so big that he doesn't even have room to, to, to store it. I mean, could you imagine? My wife works for farmers. Could you imagine, if you, if you work in that type of industry, could you imagine having a crop so large that literally you couldn't store it all? 
So you had to build bigger barns. I think of Jaws, right? We need a bigger boat. We need a bigger barn. You know, see, God has truly blessed this man. He's blessed him with a field that produced plentifully. But instead of using, instead of using this abundant crop to further the kingdom of God, to benefit his neighbor, to love on the people that needed to be loved on, the man chose to accumulate the wealth for himself. He's covetous. And, 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 and my mind immediately goes to like, I'm, I'm, I'm transporting myself back into time, trying to think of the audience that Jesus would have been talking to. And most of these people most likely would have been poor. Yes, there would have been some, some richer folks on the outskirts. There would have been some Pharisees there wanting to hear and, and they're conspiring. And, 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 and then there would be this guy that's asking for an inheritance, but he's quite obviously not rich because he's concerned with, with his inheritance. So Jesus' words would have cut deep with these people because they had, they went for want without, uh, almost every day. These people were one sickness away from, from, from travesty. If the breadwinner of that home got sick, even for a day or two, they'd be sunk. So Jesus is telling them this story of this man who had such a successful crop that he tore down the old stuff built new stuff also he could store it notice with me here this man's heart it's become so clear as he uses the pronoun at least six times in three verses he uses the pronoun i he's totally self-focused god's nowhere in his mind he's he, he builds bigger barns in order to store in his increased wealth and assure his future life of ease a life spent eating a life spent drinking a life spent in pursuit of merriment. He's a hedonist. That's what he is. He's, he's, he's in constant pursuit of pleasure. That's all that matters to him. He's looking for sensual indul- self-indulgence, and that's it. And that's where God's words to him, that when I hear them, I can't imagine God saying this to me. It should chill us. He says, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. This is this man's last night on planet Earth. And then he points out, no, I'm going to take your life. And then, know what, all that stuff you just stored up, who's it going to be now? Now what are you going to do with it? Because you're dead. The overarching principle here is plain, I think, to see. We shouldn't allow our covetous inclinations to lead us to devote our lives to the accumulation and hoarding of wealth. But there's something else here too. As I allowed my soul to be broken during the prep of this message, there's something else here. I'm reminded of uh, verse 20 reminds me of Solomon's words in Ecclesiastes where he says, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me and who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. This, I think, is the point that Jesus is making. He goes on to express something I think we've all witnessed. Maybe some of us have experienced where people, they accumulate a vast fortune for themselves uh, only to die and leave it to a generation who hasn't worked for it and, 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 and often doesn't even appreciate it. And even more often than that, I feel like they squander it. And let's take just, the, 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 just go one step further. Let's go one step deeper into Jesus' words here. As we remember his, 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 his words in Matthew, 
No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. We all know that passage, right? As an aside, I just want to add this, brothers and sisters. Most times when I hear this message preached, I hear it strictly centered around uh, giving in the church. And it kind of breaks my heart. Because I think it misses the point. Giving to the church is important, yes. But it's not, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Y'all don't need to be, you said, I heard, did you hear y'all? Where in the world did that come from? You guys don't need to be told to, to, to give. Everybody in sitting in these seats knows that. Jesus is hitting at something bigger, something much more difficult to wrestle with. He's hitting at the very core of human nature, a covetous heart. The using of, 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 of the blessings of God for the purposes of man. You see, a Christian, when we're not blessed by God in order to hoard our resources and accumulate wealth. The psalmist said, if riches increase, do not set your heart upon them. Instead, we're to use what God has blessed us with to be a blessing in radical ways to the church, but also to the world around us generally. Proverbs says, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Without one, another withholds what he should give and, and only suffers one. My wife and I can testify to this all day long. It seems like the more my wife and I give, the more God blesses us with, and not financially, necessarily. But if, if I had the time, I'd love to be able to share our story with that kind of stuff. I mean, giving, giving cars away, giving, uh, giving up jobs, lucrative jobs, in the pursuit of, of what God has called us to. And all the more, God just seems to, to, to build. When, when our store of resources feels done, when our store of resources feels complete, God's giving has just begun. Has just begun in our lives. I wonder if you guys have ever noticed this. Have you ever noticed that, that you might save for something? Or, or maybe you, you want something so bad that you buy it on credit, and then you get it, and it's the thing that you coveted, you wanted it. And then you go home, you hang that huge TV on your wall, and you turn it on, and you're like, uh, that was fun. But then have you experienced the opposite? Have you experienced the opposite where you're sensing God has been, has been calling you? I had a Jeep, an awesome Jeep that I loved this Jeep. I still love this Jeep. My heart's not completely healed. Pray for me. But we had a friend who really needed a car. So we just gave him the Jeep. And I look back at that and, and, and I'm so humbled by the way that God not only just worked in that instance, by the way we were able to be a blessing to that family, but then also He blessed us. Because I look at my family and my life now, and I look at the provision that He constantly provides for me. Have you guys ever given so sacrificially in that kind of way? Something that's had. Only to find fulfillment, and, and then on top of that, blessing. I love what Spurgeon has to say. He says, a man's contentment is in his mind, not in the extent of his possessions. Alexander the Great, with all the world at his feet, cries for another world to conquer. Give me more. Give me more. Give me more. The point's simple enough, and Paul makes it to the church in Corinth. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance, 
so that having all contentment in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. We're blessed by God so we can abound in every good work. This is kingdom building work. We are to be kingdom minded in our pursuits of God. And, 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 and as he's blessed us with material wealth or he blesses us with materials, we're to use them to build the kingdom. And get this. God is our provider. And because God is our provider, there's no reason to covet in the first place. Because God, if we trust him like we say we do, we will trust that God will give us everything we need, not want. I want a red Ferrari. I'd love to drive one of those things. But I don't trust God to give me one. Everything we need, God will provide. And I'm not a prosperity gospel, if you guys know me. I, 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 I run. I say run. I say run from that. That's perverse teaching. Because this life is hard too, but, but, but I think the point here in verse 21 is that, that if we're accumulating, that, that as we accumulate wealth, we, we don't set our heart on it. And as we accumulate wealth, uh, we should be rich toward God. Well, what's the point here? And I'm wrapping up in record time. It's not over yet. A lot can go wrong in a page and a half. It's 18 point font. Not that much can go wrong. I wrestle with these parables. I wrestle with the idea of how much I have in the realm of physical objects and wealth. But let me be clear, I also want to tell you that these things aren't necessarily bad. Scripture doesn't condemn wealth. In fact, it can be a great tool for the kingdom. I'd argue that the idea that in order to store up treasures in heaven or to be rich toward God, we have to sell everything we own or give everything away is a poverty all its own in the economy of God. It's not good. It's equally bad as saying wealth is bad to say that everybody must sell everything they own. No. Because this, brothers and sisters, and hear me like you've never heard me. When we are before the God of all and are asked for the currency of the kingdom to prove our right to enter, we ought not try to hand in our own righteousness. Isaiah says that all our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. Paul later will write, by the deeds of the law, no flesh can be justified in his sight. Saints of God, when we're given the chance to present our justification for the right to enter into the everlasting rest of our triune God, we must only present our empty hands saying, Master, Father, I've given it all for you. I come with you empty-handed with nothing. There's nothing I can do because it's all already been done for me. It has nothing to do with my wealth. It has nothing to do with my good works. And everything to do with your son hanging on a tree, bleeding and dying for me, and then you fulfilling your promise through a resurrection and an ascension. It's all we must do when we stand before our Heavenly Father. Telling Him, I've sold everything for the pearl of great price, the righteousness of Christ, through which I have received faith, by which I'm made an heir to His unsearchable riches. There's nothing that can exhaust the riches that we are right now currently heirs to and possess. The kingdom is here, but not yet. It's not fully realized. But we can live as if we're heirs to the kingdom. We can live this way right now, brothers and sisters. And that's why when I say that I, I stand before my wife sometimes, just radically changed. Because God is so good. And then I see the people around me. And they're so broken. And all I want to do is I want to hug them. I want to love them. And I want to say, you know what? 
There's healing in the cross of Christ. Will you come with me? I'll walk with you. You can have it all because it means nothing to me anymore. Because I found my treasure, my inheritance. Brothers and sisters, our entrance into that triune rest has been secured by the amazing grace of our Savior. When He purchased it for us by His blood, this is what makes us rich, brothers and sisters. Nothing can take that. And I love that about what God's done. We can and should accomplish many things in our lives. We should be pursuing holiness. We should be pursuing excellence. And I believe my struggle is a good one that I expressed at the onset of this message. I think it's a good one when faced with the world around me. I, I, I see the world around me and I hear God's call on my life and I, and, I, and I read things like we're a royal priesthood, we're ambassadors for Christ. I don't take these things lightly. And I struggle with what does that look like because I see the radical lives of the saints that walked before me. And what makes me different? But let us never try to use these works, these things, as currency to purchase grace. Grace is free, yes, grace is free, but it is never cheap. The Father has made the arrangement already, all of Christ for our nothing. We mustn't cheapen this everlasting treasure with our currency, but instead purchase the unsearchable riches of grace with our poverty of spirit. And this is what's, what it means to be rich toward God. Building the kingdom of God by the grace of God, with the gifts of God, unto the glory of God. This is all he'll accept. Let's pray. Father, what a privilege it is to, to wrestle with you. Thank you for beating me up. Thank you for the passion that you give us. Thank you for your word. But most of all, Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his perfect and sinless life. The life that we're called to live but couldn't. Thank you for his perfect death. A death that we should have died. And thank you for the ransom that paid. For a debt that we owed but couldn't pay it. And thank you for his resurrection from the dead. In which and through which we find not only an everlasting hope. But proof positive that you are who you say you are. And even in that, we know that you will do what you say you're going to do. So this Sunday morning, Lord, would we find the rest that we're yearning for? But would we find it in the person work of Jesus Christ? Because it's not found out there. It's not found through our stuff. We need you. And we call on you, knowing full well that you will finish the work that you've started in each and every one of us. We love you, Lord. But we do pray that you help us love you more and each other better. In Christ's name, amen. Come worship with us every Sunday morning at 2304 Antonio Drive, Camarillo, or you can visit solelychurch.com, S-O-L-I-Church.com. 
Have a blessed day. Soli Deo Gloria.